With a focus on every detail, the world's best road cycling shoe just got better. Shimano engineers took a 3D look at pedaling dynamics to better understand how pressure is applied throughout the pedal stroke. They discovered distinct zones where force is exerted differently across the shoe and optimized the RC902 shape and materials to maximize power transfer while maintaining a comfortable, lightweight design. The newest S-Fire shoe is available in standard as well as women's specific and wide options. Shimano recognizes that while performance is king, aesthetics are important too. The sleek RC902 comes in four colors, letting you spice things up with stunning blue or the all new red color option. For a more subtle look, the RC902 is also available in the always fashionable black and classic white. Already on the feet of Mathieu Vanderpoel and Wout van Aert, now you can focus on every detail. Hello and welcome to another episode of Bobby and Jens. My name is Bobby Julik and my brother from another mother over there in Berlin, Jens Vogte. Jensi, what's the news? I did all weekend long filming with Bernie Eisel for Eurosport for a TV documentary called Meeting the Legends. And believe it or not, they choose me to be part of it. So, yep, that's the good news. Oh, you're going to be their poster boy. I, I heard uh, from around the horn a little bit that uh, they've never had to recharge their batteries in their camera and video recorder ever prior to you. Like, you you broke their batteries. They had to go and recharge the batteries. So I can't wait to see this. When When is it coming out? Um, I believe just before the tour or within the first week of the tour because we do talk a lot about the Tour de France breakaways and so on. So yeah, wait for it to be ready in July. Well, past legend, current legend, future legend or not, Yenzi, today we have a great interview with Mads Peterson, the 2019 World Road Race Champion. And I tell you one thing, 25 years old, this kid has got it. The way that he speaks is fantastic. So enjoy our interview with Mods Pedersen from Trek Segrafredo. Okay, as promised, we have our guest today coming to us from Denmark. Everyone knows his name by now. He was the world champion in 2019. He got kind of gypped last year, didn't get to ride around in his jersey that long. But welcome Mads Peterson to Bobby and Jens. Thank you. Man, you know, obviously you kind of burst onto the scene uh, pretty quickly, but then going back in, in history a little bit, I see that you and I share a common race result. No, Jens, it's not the world champion. I was never world champion, but I won the Trofeo Carlsberg in 1989. And I understand that you won it in 2012 and 2013 as a junior. Is that right, Mads? Yeah, it's true. The only race I won, uh, I won 
both years I, I could. So that's uh, pretty nice. It's a nice race. Mads, tell us a little bit about your introduction so young into the sport of cycling. Well, you know, I've been, I've been riding my bike since I was seven. Uh, and I had my first, first race when I was eight. Uh, so I wasn't old enough to, to ride my bike or to do races. I couldn't get a license when I, I started in the, in the local cycling club. Uh, and first of all, I actually started because I was a pretty bad team player and a bad loser when I was a kid. Um, so I, I smashed a few racks in badminton and tennis and uh, football wasn't a good idea. The coach, he told me to, to find something else to do. Uh, so, yeah, my dad, he bought me a bike and uh, yeah, I'm, I'm still riding it. So it's quite a journey already. You know, I started in, in 2002. And I was a pretty good, uh, you know, on the, on the 11 rider. I won my first uh, national championships in, in time trial, the best time trial ever. And still, it's the best time trial I ever did. And then, uh, yeah, I had some years where it didn't go that good. I just had fun and enjoyed, you know, enjoyed the, you know, the guys and the friendship in, in cycling. And then uh, in junior, it uh, started to go a bit faster and... Uh, yeah, started to fight against guys like uh, Fender Pool and so on, and uh, and let's say I won the unofficial world, cha- world champion rank, you know, list ranking list for for the uh, for for the both years. I was the best junior, and I won. Yeah, also all the nation cups I did, I, I won them. So it was uh, some pretty nice years in in junior. Uh, I still remember my first nations cup. It was uh, Roubaix, actually. And uh, another Danish guy, Mass Wirtz, he, he won that race when I was first year junior. And I finished 10th, I think, or 11th. And when we passed the finish line, I told the national coach, next year I'm going to win this race. And uh, yeah, the year after I came back with number one on the back and I won it. So pretty much sum up my uh, junior career. Uh, maybe a little bit arrogant asshole, but uh, I also won quite some races, so it was pretty nice. So, do you still remember who was on that podium when you won that Perry Roubaix uh, for juniors? Two thir- 2013 it was, I believe. Who was yeah. uh, on the podium with you? So, Theo Gegenhardt, he was second, and uh, Van Hoydung, he was third. Wow, and you smoked him, wow. Well, yeah, yeah. The shit kickers, eh? The shit kickers, eh? Yeah, fuck Terry. He's a he's a climb, but he shouldn't even be there in yeah. cobbles, you know. Yeah, that's he, he true. Ju- yeah, that, just, I'm surprised actually. Exactly, he just won the Giro. He shouldn't even be on the podium. Actually, we shouldn't be embarrassed for having him on the podium. But uh, so, oh my gosh, talking <laughs> talking trash from the juniors. I love it. I absolutely love it. I love it. And so, yeah, you won Perry Roubaix Juniors in 2013, but. You got beat by a certain person in the road race that year. Do you remember who that was? Yeah, Van der Poel. He uh, he smoked me quite quite hard in the in the worlds. So I was a big guy in in junior, um, like physically big, fat. We can also say, and uh, yeah, the course in Florence wasn't ideal for me. But uh, you know, with the confidence I had, it was no problem, of course. But it was it was a guy. The problem was Van der Poel, you know. He he left like a motherfucker on the climbs, and we never saw him again. So 
but you know it's not too bad to lose uh, to a guy like him. But uh, of course, I was pissed. I, I I did beat him in 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 the peace race and in, in most of the other races we had during the year. And you know, I I hoped I could do the same in uh, in Wells, but uh, yeah, uh, that was the only thing I couldn't get. But uh, now we have the medal for the for juniors, and I have it for the for the big boys. So that's a fair trade for me. Sounds pretty good to me. So back to your childhood, when you were frustrated of not winning, did you ever smash bikes or start yelling at people, or did you like ever like went like berserk after the finish line as a kid, or you were okay? Well, he was just better than me, and he won the race. Or no, I learned quite fast just to ride five minutes more after the finish line. And uh, the thing is, with with cycling, you know, if you're not good enough, it's only your own fault. Uh, you know, it's because you're not good enough. Um, so if I wasn't good enough, I, I would go home and train some more, even as a kid. Um, and I think that's still the, the mentality I have. If, if someone is better than me, I can train more and be better. So I learned it quite fast that, uh, it was, it was not the fault of anyone else. It was only myself if, if I didn't that's, win. That's pretty wise thinking of a young man like you. I mean, you're still only 25 years old. Yeah, but like... You know, I know what I'm capable of and I know I can be, you know, in the mix in the in the really big races. But if I'm not there, I know I can do it better. I know I can do something else to be there. I know I can train more. I know I can, you know, have a one kilo less on, on the scale, uh, you know, think more about the equipment, something. I can always tune a little bit. Um, so, yeah, cycling never stops and it's always work. You know, you can't. If you did good last year, it's not the, it's not a, it's, it's not an easy task the year after. You always have to follow and see what the other guys is doing and follow on the equipment and so on. But you said something there that actually Jens and I were talking about before we went uh, live on the air with you. Is you know cycling saved us. You know I was. I was a punk little kid. I got into a lot of trouble. I think Jens's story is is very very similar. You kind of mentioned that smashing rackets. I mean, I did the same thing in tennis and and um, you know soccer. I was always very frustrated, and it was just funny how you know we we kind of gravitated to a sport where, like you said, it was our fault if we didn't do well, and we found a way to make those make those improvements, but. You know, talking a little bit more about junior racing, you know, just having someone like you that's kind of gone through that and been with the best for, for so long. Um, what do you think or what can we do as a sport to get more juniors, both men and women, introduced to cycling? Because, I mean, right now in Denmark, it seems to be a huge sport, but over here in the U.S., it's it's still kind of struggling. But do you have any insights into that, you know, having lived through it yourself? Like when when I was riding in the local club, there was only one other guy on my age within like, you know, we were only two guys uh, within an age of minus two and, and plus two. So in, in four years, we had this, you know, big split. So we had kids that was two years younger than us. And then this guy was two two years older than me. And then it was a big step, like 10 years to the next ones. Um. But now, like in Denmark, for example, they do a really good job with the with the local clubs. Like the local one I 
in, in my hometown and the, the one I'm coming from, they have more than 50 kids now uh, from the age of 9 to 16. 50 kids, and, and this is not a big town I'm from. It's it's a small one. So for me, that's pretty nice. And there are more than 500 members in the whole club. So I think the clubs and, and especially the national team is doing a really good job also. Like in Denmark, they're feeding the young kids like already from under 17 with you know a little bit of the atmosphere from the national team and they go to, you know, to the headquarter of the national team to see how all the sports is working and, and stuff like this. And the national coaches are teaching them to, you know, to keep having fun in the young ages. And yeah, I, I just think we have a lot of uh, good stuff going on in Denmark with, with keeping cycling fun. Even even when you're a junior rider, it still has to be fun. Otherwise, you are, yeah, you're on the limit quite fast. You know, even for us, for me... Also for you guys, when you were riding the bike, it also had to be fun sometimes. Sometimes it's nice to, you know, to tear out the paper with the with intervals and just leave them at home and then do some stupid shit with your bodies. And uh, for me, that's really important. And it doesn't matter if you are 12 years old or you're 25 or you're 30 and, you know, it doesn't matter. Cycling has to be fun. Oh, 100%. I mean, especially at that age. And that's the thing that I was kind of curious about was are we maybe with with so much data and so much technology at these kids fingertips nowadays um you know you mentioned that you you were a little bit overweight as a junior but to me like that's that's normal like you know most kids are a little overweight and i'm always scared when i see juniors telling me about their body fat percentage and and things like that i'm like wait a second it's not about that. It's just going out and having fun with your buddies. And I always say that, especially to the young guys and, and even some of the, the you know, older people that I work with. I'm like, man, if it's a difference between doing a set workout on Zwift or doing some intervals, just pounding your head against the wall compared to going out on a group ride with your buddies, the group ride is always a better workout. And you, you learn how to ride your bike in a group a lot more. You know, just learning how to, you know, hurt yourself inside or outdoors by yourself doesn't necessarily equate to being, you know, crafty on the bike. And I think over the years, you've done it right, because if there's one thing that we can see watching you on TV is you know how to race your bike. And that's that's the most important thing for for young juniors coming up, I believe. For me, they should ban power meters and all this shit for, you know, for juniors and, you, you know, from juniors and down. It shouldn't be it shouldn't be there uh i like that they start to do junior teams because then you have like a team spirit you know you teach people how to race together and stuff like this so this part i like but i i you know power meters and all this shit they should just take it out of uh, cycling in that age um, I couldn't I couldn't agree more. Bobby is the science guy here. I'm just more like the feeling, the rider after feeling. So we quite have discussions about this. But Mats, as you can imagine, every young kid in Denmark wants to be you, right? Because you were the world champion. So who was your hero when you were 10, 12, 13 years old? Who was the, the, the rider you wanted to be or the rider that I want to be like him? Who was your hero? So, to be 100% honest, I have two things. One thing is I, I always had so much energy, so I, I never watched a race when I was a kid. 
And I, I never saw a full race. I couldn't even see the last 30 Ks of a race. I had so much energy. I had to do something. So I didn't follow cycling that much. I enjoyed <laughs> to ride my bike a lot, but I didn't watch a lot of races. And even in junior, I didn't watch races. You know, I was so much in my own zone and, you know, enjoying my own life. And I was busy going in school and riding my bike and, you know, looking after the wife I have now and, and stuff like this. So I didn't have time to, to watch you guys race. So I think like every other kid, uh, as a boy, you look up to your dad and I really had a big, you know, big impression of my dad. And I really saw him like, that's the guy I want to be. But uh, now when I see him, I don't want to be like him, of course. But uh, I think it helped out quite a lot. And then uh, if I have to pick one rider, of course, as a Danish guy, we always follow CSC and, and Saxobank and so on. And uh, still the best thing I ever saw, I was still overcoming when uh, the scene where you say, uh, Bjarne, Bjarne, I'm going. And he say, no, no, Jens, stop, stop. And then the next picture is you in the front. And then... Uh, <laughs> That's uh, one of the best things. And that's why, you know, for me, also, I said to Ken, when I signed with Corso, I was like, Ken, you just have to make me pro so I can race with Jens at one point. But we, we never made it. When that, when you stopped, I turned uh, pro with Trek. So if I have to pick one, it would be you. Oh, man, that is actually quite touching. I must say thank you. Thank you. I feel honored. Thank you. But Mads, listen, if you were his teammate or his roommate, It was annoying. Like, you know, you're in the... Like, Bjarne and, and B.S. Christensen ran CSC like a military organization. You're supposed to listen to your boss. You're supposed to follow orders. But man, when Yenzi got on the start line, that playbook was just ripped up. And we'd be back there, like, having to defend him against, you know, all the other guys saying, why is Jens up the road again? I thought he was here to, to work for Yvonne or work for Carlos. And we would just throw up our arms and say, hey, that he can't stop Jens. He's like a runaway freight train. And he always made it stressful for us. But then we could sit back and relax because we're like, hey, we got Jensy up there. You guys are going to have to chase. So that's that's a good one. Um, that was kind of my issue with cycling as well. I didn't have the history um, I didn't know who Henny Kuiper was when he picked me up from the airport when I was a neopro. I didn't really know the whole history of Eddie Merckx. But talking about, like, once I did start to pay attention to cycling, we just, I had to devour anything that we would get in the mail. And Velo News, which, you know, this, this is a, a podcast for Velo News, used to come in like a newspaper form. And man, you would sit there the first of every month and just watch when the postman came up. And as soon as you saw that big um, kind of newspaper-looking magazine, you would run out and just devour that thing. And I must have read that thing from you know cover to cover 10 times before I finally put it down. But you know, learning the names were was very important. You know, like you know, of course, Bjorn Reese, he had a huge influence on both Jens and I. Um, guys like Brian Holm, Jesper Skibby, Rolf Sorensen, Kim Anderson, who's your, your director um, to this day. Jens Vegerby, I loved him because he was on the 7-Eleven team, which was an American team. Johnny Welts, who was you know, obviously a very big influence to all of us when we were young at, uh, at Motorola. 
uh, Renee Wenzel, he was like our national team coach, um, more, more for the juniors and for the track, but there was, um, just so much Danish influence. I really, I just love Danish people. And, you know, you guys have so many cool names in, in history. And then of course, Jens and I shared a lot of great teammates from Denmark as well. Um, you know, Michael Marco was one of my, my favorite guys, Matty Breschel, uh, Jakob Pill, Lars Bach, Michael Blaudsen, Nikki Sorensen, Frank Hoy, Sandstedt. Don't forget Sandstedt. Michael Sandstedt. I mean, these, <laughs> yeah. these are all names that when I, when I hear about them or I think about them, it just, you know, gives me a smile because we had so many good times. But with so many guys, you know, in the World Tour Peloton from Denmark now, do you guys, do you guys, sh are you guys close? Do you guys in inspire each other, motivate each other? Or is there some some competition between you guys and and who who is your best friend in the peloton from denmark uh the best friend is it's an easy one it's uh jacob ekholm is the Dan other danish guy from uh, trek also he's living like on the bike he's eight minutes from here so every day we you know we meet halfway and then uh, we go ride together uh and and the inspiration from the other Danish guys, I think it's more like, for example, now if you take Casper uh, who won uh, Flanders, like he wins Flanders. And of course, I'm super happy for him. And, you know, I texted him straight away. But something inside me also tells me I'm better than him and I want to win it next year or I want to do a bigger result than him. And I think that's, you know, it's a good mix of, you know, we like each other and we... You know, we we support each other when it needed, but we also want to be the best one of us, and we all want to do that. That's a good, healthy uh, competition. It's good. That's how it should be, right? We are deep down into classic season, and if you're looking for some help getting back into shape, don't worry. Active Pass from outside has you covered. Bobby and myself are both members and get to enjoy training plans, exclusive gear discounts, entry to cycling events and more, including access to premium content from other outside publications like Velo News, Trail Runner, Yoga Journal and Backpacker. And there's more coming soon, including Peloton Magazine. All in all, it's $350 worth of value for just $99. But if you enter our special coupon code BobbyJens25 at checkout, you will get another 25% off. Go to velonews.com slash activepass and enter BobbyJens25, all one word, lowercase, at checkout to receive our special 25% discount. Now, back to our chat with Mads. When you want to get ready for racing, um, your winter training, are you stay in Denmark and train in the rain and in the cold or you spend the winter somewhere south for like two months in Spain or you go, nah, nah, I'm Danish and I just going to train in Denmark. What's your plan there to get ready to have the next best result in the spring next year? Uh, normally I just stay home. You know, I'm waiting for the first training camp with the team. Uh, my opinion is I've, I have travel days enough. So I like to stay home. Uh, I want to be good in the classics and the chances for bad weather in the, in the classics are quite high. So it's better to train in it and get used to the cold and, and wind and so on. 
And man, like I can't remember when there was the last time I saw more than two centimeters of snow in Denmark. Normally it comes and then five hours later it's gone. So, and when it's raining, you know, you're getting wet, but you will always dry up again. So it's not that bad. And nowadays we have some quite good uh, rain clothing. So it's it's easier to do four or five hours in the rain when you have uh, the clothing from from these days. So I spend the most of the time in Denmark, actually. Um, I like to be home when I'm when I'm not racing and I like to have my, my family and friends. And it's also nice that my wife have an, you know, in, in normal life um, and she's not sitting in an apartment in Monaco or in Spain alone when I'm out racing, you know, here at home, she have her friends, uh, she have the horse, her, her parents is close to here and, and so on. So it's, uh, it's so much easier. And my philosophy is when it's, when everything is working at home and it's easy at home, it's also easier to perform. Oh, hundred percent. Happy wife, happy life. That's for sure. Exactly. But I, I told you, I love Denmark. I love Danish people. I hate Danish roads. And I'll tell you why. Every time that we were there, it was always, you know, in the winter for the training camp, we'd get together. And what is the deal with getting so many flat tires in Denmark? It, what do you guys have on your roads or what do they put on the roads that just just rips a normal tire to pieces? I mean, we would we were going from our training camp facility to this hotel. We were kind of doing our last night uh, presentation party. And we all got on the bike, and I think myself and four other people out of the 30-person team actually made it there because we ran out of tires and people had to start jumping into the cars. What, what, what is on the roads or what washes out into the roads that, that makes you know, getting flat tires so, so common? Uh, it's flint, it's called. It's a really sharp, small stone. And you know, if you have a big one of these stones and you throw them in the asphalt, it's going in, in really small pieces. And they are super sharp, like needles, so they can go through through the tires easily. The problem is when it's nice and dry, the sharp side is it's always down, so that's super nice. But the moment it's getting wet, they they're pointing up a little bit, and then you always ride them into the tires, and then you have the flat tires. So what's the trick? What's the Danish World Tour Pro trick to avoiding? Flat tires. So like the really heavy one is when you have a used tire, like the fast summer tires, you cut the sides off and then you put it inside the other tire. Holy wow. smokes. Simple, but very effective. Awesome. Yeah, but super slow. It's really, really heavy, but it's okay. <laughs> it's okay in the winter, you know, when you have the mud guards on and everything, then it's, uh, it's okay. You know, we all riding it and it, it's, then we are going slow together, but, uh, it's quite heavy and you can also feel it's in there, but then it's nice to go on the training camp. You put on the tubulars, you have eight bars in the wheels, then you're flying. If we would jump towards your high point, I believe, of your career so far, and <clears throat> I give you only a split second to answer, okay? Yeah. And you got to choose one of the two words and later you can explain, but just quickly. Rainbow jersey, a curse or a blessing? Blessing. Alrighty, now, tell us why. <laughs> like, every guy in the peloton, they're dreaming about winning that jersey. And 
you know, I don't know how many pro- World Tour pros we are. Let's say 500, 400 World Tour pros right now. And if you're lucky, 15 guys of us will win it the next 20 years. Or, yeah, you know, or let's say like until everyone, everyone who's riding World Tour right now, until everyone is, you know, out of cycling or out of riding their bikes, maybe 15 guys will win world championships the next, yeah, I don't know how many years it will take then. So it's so special to wear the jersey. And it's also in cycling, it's super nice that you actually have the jersey whole year, you show I'm the world champion, like Danish national champion or German or American. It's You have something the whole year that shows I'm the best. And... Yeah, you know, it's just a dream. And and then we can talk about people who is not winning races with it and and so on, but I don't think it's because of the of I don't think it's a curse of the jersey. I think it's uh, people is maybe relaxing a little bit too much the first year when they have the jersey because now the, it's a winter and I do it did a really good result and you know, I'm a world champion and so on, but fuck man. You're not getting more space and it's not getting easier just because you're a world champion. So uh, for me, it was a blessing, you know. Of course, it was pretty shit to miss out the races I really like in the jersey. But let's say in, in 10 years, no one remembers how many races I did in the jersey. I would just be in the in the list of guys who won world championships. And, and lo- let's look on the bright side. You know, you probably have an entire trunk full of those brand new rainbow jerseys that you'll be able to give to fans and friends for forever. Cause if you did a whole season, you'd have a lot less of those, you know, but yeah, let's, let's talk a little bit about that world championship victory that you had. Um, obviously it was terrible weather. Um, a little point that I, that I like was Jens and I were on French teams. We had to do the Grand Prix Isberg, which is, you know, to a French team. That's like, a it's you don't want to go to that race, but that's kind of like the race right before the worlds, and you won that, and then you won the world championships. But I have to ask you, knowing Matteo Vanderpol as long as you had, when he was in that breakaway with you, and then all of a sudden, homeboy's lights just went out. Like, what what changed in your mentality when? A guy that beat you when you were a junior in the world championships and was obviously on some flying form just absolutely detonates due to, you know, a bonk or a hunger knock, whatever you guys call it over there now. So, no, you know, my mentality didn't change just because he wasn't there. I, I always had quite a lot of confidence and I really had confidence in myself and I know I could do a good sprint. So I was just waiting for that. I knew I couldn't drop them on the climb. So I was just hoping for the best that they wouldn't go, let's say, balls out on the climbs and then drop me. Um, but when he, he dropped, I was like, fuck, he snapped the chain or something. You know, we were all like, he had an accident because the lights went out like this. Um, and after that, I knew, like, Trentin, he would throw Moscon to the front and pull full gas to make sure that Van wouldn't make it back. So... For me, they did a quite stupid tactic because there were still two guys. They should have started to attack one by one, but they they put Moscon to pull, and then we hit the bottom of the 
you know, of the last deep climb with what four, four and a half K to go. And there he was gone. And uh, Kung, he was going, you know, really, really hard. But Kung, he's a super, super strong guy. But as a TT specialist, you also know you don't have this super high kick. And I didn't have the, you know, if Matteo, he would have gone there, for sure, I would have been dropped. But because Kung, he didn't make it with a big kick, he was just going faster and faster and faster. And also in my head, I was like, fuck, Mesh, you can't get dropped now. It's like six and a half hours in the rain. You're sitting here, you're riding for for a medal in world championships. Everything is, it's bullshit if you're getting dropped out of this group. It's not good enough then. So I just managed to stay on. And then, uh, yeah, I, I took the front in the sprint because then I only had to look one way. You know, I was quite sure I could beat uh, Kung in the sprint. But Santina was like, yeah. Who knows? Um, of course, I had the confidence that I could, but uh, yeah, I, I wanted to take the front because then I only had to look back and then he had to pass me. So he had to go, you know, if I started in the back, I had to pass Kung and Matteo to win the race. So I had to go really fast to pass two guys. But from the front, yeah, it was about going as, as slow as possible also because I know my... My first kick is quite high, so especially when it's cold, it's 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 high. So I wanted to go as slow as possible to take the speed out of the group, and then make it as as far as we could to to the finish line. And then Matteo he opened the sprint with two hundred meters to go, and I was like, okay, I I wanted to go in his wheel, but then he was like, yeah, not not fast enough. I I, I had more in the legs, and and then. Yeah, I passed him and then the moment I looked back and I saw him sitting in the saddle, uh, I started to cramp and then the, the finish line was there. So it, you almost made it sound like at 4K to go, you knew you might have a real chance at it, right? Because you did the tactics and I couldn't agree more. The Italian should have attacked left, right, left, right to secure the title for them instead of riding tempo that helped you more than anybody else. But Brilliant analysis. You're, you're a smart rider. You talk like an old battle veteran from like 36 years old, but that's, yeah, smart thinking. Well done. Jens, you better look out. Your commentator position is in jeopardy because what he just explained, like I, I, I'm getting kind of goosebumps, like trying to think how all these things are going through your mind and you know your tactical awareness. But that's why you're world champion and um, guys like Jens and I never were. But let's let's fast forward instead of dwelling on the past. Let's talk about the present and the future. So, this year started. You guys had a really quick turnaround from the end of the year last year. You came on and you won Kern Brussels Kerna, and then had some some troubles in in your favorite races. What what was uh, what was going on there? Um, were you were you injured? So we came to E3 and uh, yeah, to be honest, I don't know exactly what happened there. I just had nothing in the legs and, and no power. And this guy, this you guys also know some days, it's just nothing, nothing to go with. And uh, E3 was like this. But yeah, you know, I was still, I know, I knew the shape was good and I knew I could do a good result. So I was still super motivated for, for Ghent. Um, yeah, I won it in 19 and you know, in, in 
last season in 20 so i knew i i could do it again and it wasn't impossible it, it's a race that fits me quite good it's not a lot of altitude meters it's it's just a hard you know shitty one in the rain normally and a lot of wind so that's perfect but uh my roommate he tested positive this the day before in uh you know in the evening they they knocked on the door 11 30 and yeah woke us up and told us uh, we couldn't race um and yeah, my roommate, he tested positive on the Corona. Um, so I was out for the race on Wednesday, Dwarstorff Landers also. And I couldn't, uh, in Belgium, I had to, you know, stay in the room and uh, ride my home trainer the whole week. So my dad, he was in Belgium also. So my dad was there in his car and I was there in my own car. So I asked the doctor if my dad, he followed me all the way home. And when we stopped in, in Germany to fill up, he would fill up the car so I could still sit in the car. And then we could keep going because then I could go isolated from Belgium to Denmark. And in Denmark, the rules are I can train alone outside because it's it's my work. So I went home Monday. So I did three hours on home train home trainer Monday. I went home Tuesday. I had symptoms for, for Corona. So no training Tuesday, no training Wednesday. And then I had tests every day and blood samples and everything was negative. So that whole week I had eight tests in total and everything was negative. But I only had like three hours uh, Thursday, three hours Friday and one hour uh, Saturday before the race. And I had also had to drive back to Belgium Friday evening and then Flanders on Sunday. Uh, and yeah, you guys also know in races like this, if you don't have the 100% uh, preparation, you're quite fucked. And uh, I knew my race wouldn't be be good. So I just, you know, did what I could for, for Jasper and, and hoped he could do a good result. Man, so, sorry to hear that. That's that's an unfortunate thing that that you guys had to deal with. And um, it came, keeps seeming to pop its head up here and there. Yeah, you know, shit happens. It could be worse, you know. We could end up with corona or something. So the races will come back and we will come back even stronger. At least we still have uh, San Remo in the pocket and uh, Kyrne. So, yeah. An ambitious undertaking to make the best race shoe even better. Shimano engineers studied pedaling dynamics while examining different rider types and pedaling styles to create its most technologically advanced cycling shoe. The pinnacle of road race performance. Every aspect of the S-Fire RC902 shoe is designed to maximize power transmission, comfort, and performance. And back to our chat with Mads. So when I look at your race results, you did a pretty impressive sprint in the last year, first stage Tour de France, almost took stage one and yellow. Then you performed really well in the classics. Now that you had some time at home, did you ever think about what type of rider are you or you want to be? Are you going to be a pure sprinter or are you going to focus on the one-day races and classics? Uh, I'm going to focus on one day races and classics. I like to do the sprints and I like to, you know, I like the adrenaline in the sprints and this craziness, uh, in the sprints also. 
and uh, for me it's also good training you know to if I can be in the mix in the in the pure sprints in the real sprints it's uh, it's nice to be in the in the sprints in the smaller groups in the one day races uh, but my love is still for the cobble cobblestones and uh, I still have some results I want to to aim before I'm I'm let's say switching to to be a sprinter uh, I'm not thinking about it uh, yet but I, I can't deny that the uh, might happen one day so if you could choose any rider of any times five riders for your perfect lead out who would you choose for your perfect lead out train any any rider of any time in history do you oh. got any id five riders i think i would put Renshaw in the in the in the train we have for trek like ryan mullen Kiers, Jasper, Edward, and uh, Renshaw. I think that's a quite nice uh, lead-out train. That's a good answer, yeah. Easy done, well done. Yeah, that, that, that is a good train indeed, because Renshaw knows how it works. He has proven it many, many times, right? Exactly. You, you forgot to mention Jens in that. You know, Jens, Jens gets all these props for being people's favorite riders uh, and breakaways, um, so... Jens, I hope you don't feel bad about that. But well, Bob, Bobby, now that you give me shit, I tell you what, there was a time, my friend, and you need to bow down after I'm finished, when I, the breakaway Jensi, was, we can cut it out of the recording <laughs> later on, I just need to get it off my chest, when I was the best and most reliable sprinter in Europe. We started this season with the Etoile de Bessage. Jensi wins the stage and takes the green sprinter jersey to the end. Two weeks later, Tour Matt. Jensi wins two stages, takes the green jersey as well. Two weeks later, we had Perry Nice. Jensi wins the stage and takes the green jersey. And you know who finished second in the green jersey? A certain Tom Bonin. There you go. I am a sprinter if I want to. I just needed to say that. Okay, we're back to serious business now. <laughs> <laughs> There you go, Yenzi. You got a lot of uh, green jerseys in your in your closet, I'm sure. But Mads, listen, uh, you've given us a lot of time. But one last question. So, you know, you obviously had your spring interrupted. Uh, you're at home in Denmark training right now. What is your your program for the upcoming months or even the rest of the year? What, what are you aiming for? What are your objectives? I think, oh no, I don't think like nationals. I would really like to win nationals to, to go to the tour with the Danish flag on, on the chest and with the rainbow stripes on the, on the sleeves. That's a, a pretty nice combination. Uh, so that's my first upcoming goal. Then we have the tour, of course, uh, we're going with, With not a real leader, we're going more for, for stages this year. So, yeah, it would be nice to, to have a tour stage. Uh, last year, I finished second a few times uh, and I don't like second places. Um, yeah, fun story next to that. Uh, when I finished second in Flanders in 18, my dad, he called me and he, he, he said, congratulations, you're the first loser in the line. So... <laughs> Oh, I know how my dad, he means it, but, uh, so that's, that's a joke now, but I, I keep telling him I'm not collecting second places. Um, so I want to switch the second place for a win in the tour. And then of course, uh, world championships and Roubaix. Now when they moved Roubaix to one week after worlds, it's a pretty nice combination. 
and uh, I would love to go home in in world championship with uh, Jasper in the in the break and then put him on second place. That's a good plan. Hey, I'm looking really far to the future. I believe next year we have the Grand Depart of the Tour de France in Copenhagen in Denmark. Are you already thought about it, looking forward to it, or that's too far in the future for you and you focus on the next weeks or on the next months? Uh, of course, I have a bit of focus for it, um, but you know, not training-wise or anything. I'm just thinking of, of what to do and... Uh, It would be pretty nice to have a yellow jersey in, in Denmark. Um, like on the second stage, we are passing like 100 meters from here. Uh, so we're really going through the town I'm, I'm living in now. And yeah, uh, but uh, to to fix that goal and then to to aim for for yellow jersey in the two and in 2022 in Copenhagen, I have to do some serious uh, TT training to to be good on the on the product. But uh, I know I can do sh short uh, prologues and, and TTs quite well, so it's it's not impossible, but it needs some training. And uh, we would we would love to see that win the Danish national championships, go and win a stage of the tour, and then next year in your home country take the yellow jersey on stage two. Well, that's some big goals, and I'm sure you can do it, uh, Mads. Thanks again for joining us. I know it's getting late there, so uh, we'll let you kick off out of here. But thanks for coming on to Bobby and Jens today. Thanks for having me, guys. It was a pleasure. Now let's go to our weekly Shut Up Legs Award for the most courageous ride or the most remarkable ride. Um, I figured this week's award from my side goes to Loic Fliegen. The guy that was in an early break at Liege Baston Liege, notably one of the hardest races, one of the hardest one-day races we have. He attacked the breakaway, rode himself so much into the ground that he cramped. And I believe he produced more watts on the right than the eventual winner. So he is my man of the week. Loic Fliegen from the team Intermarche Wanti Guber Group. Yeah, you had to feel for him when he kind of just pulled off the side of the road. Uh, we saw that with Walt Van Aert uh, a couple years ago in Strada Bianchi. And man, you don't wish that upon your worst enemy, that's for sure. But man, we had some great racing. We had Flesh Wallone. We had the end of the Tour, Tour de Alps. We obviously had Liege, Bastogne, Liege. Um, great racing. I thought it was pretty dang cool to see both world champions winning up on the Mur de Wee there during Fresh Flesh Wallone. That was pretty awesome. So my hashtag Shut Up Legs award winner for this week is Demi Bollering. Um, I've been paying attention to women's racing as everybody has because the racing has been so great. But her victory in Liege Baston Liege, I thought was was pretty darn cool. I mean, she was definitely in a very impressive breakaway there. Uh, whenever you have Anna Vanderbregen kind of controlling the final, I can't imagine what the pressure would be for for young Demi, who's very very young. She is uh, what 24, I believe. She's never won a race at that level. Um, she's having a great season. Uh, started off with 
good, good results in Strada Bianchi, Flanders. She got second in Brabantse Pill, just barely uh, losing in, in Amstel. She also got second there. And she comes through with the goods in Liege-Bastogne-Liege in front of a quite a stellar field. So, Demi, congratulations. You are my hashtag shut up legs rider of the week. Well, that's all the time we have for this week. Huge thanks to Mads Peterson for being our guest. Thanks for listening. Please give us a five-star review and share us with your friends. The show was a Velo News production in association with Shock Giraffe. The producer was Mark Payne, and this episode was edited by Kirk Warner. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Bobby and Jens and share your cycling stories with us. <laughs>